dance and gender-fluid friends, it's time again for Healthcare is Hilarious. Yes, it's me, Casey Quinlan, the mighty mouth of Mighty Casey Media, here again with a snark-filled review of American healthcare. This week, you're going to hear from Lisa Sunin, Venture Valkyrie herself. She shares her thoughts on blockchain and tech, whiz-bang buzzword alert, on price transparency, and how tech continues to transform the healthcare landscape slowly. First, Venture Valkyrie's take on the shiny object called blockchain. Is it because it's a technology that so few people actually understand, or just because it's a cool word, blockchain? Why is that such a goddamn shiny object in healthcare? Well, I'm not sure it is such a shiny object in healthcare. I mean, it's certainly a shiny thing to talk about. Nobody's really using it. I think the promise of it is that it will provide a level of audit trail and provenance of data and information Mm -hmm. that other things can't do in the same way. Okay, so that's good because that's a security thing and that's a knowledge thing and that probably allows you to do specialty contracting and maybe to share data in ways that could get patients, you know, paid for it the way you think is important, things like that. But I think the truth of the matter is it's, it's become one of these buzzwords of the moment, much like machine learning and AI and others, where there's a lot more talk than there is action yet. And people forget that technology is a tool, not a solution. And so we don't really hear the net outcome of why it matters. We only hear that it's cool and whiz-bang technology. There are uses for it, but it ain't no magic bullet. I think the practical application is really about provenance of data. So to the extent you believe that's important, there's applications that can be used for. It's just a question of whether that's going to be today's solution or, you know, 10 years from now, because frankly, health systems are still struggling to put their EMRs together, much (laughs) less, you know, get this level of sophistication of data. So I think... It's interesting. I'm sure it will play a role in healthcare, like many technologies do. I just, you know, don't think it's the panacea. Well, I think it's a Bill Gates quote that we overestimate the change that'll occur in two years and underestimate the change that'll occur in 10. And uh, this is one of those things, I think. When it comes to the Silicon Valley tech bro, are they human enough to understand human healthcare? Answer, your mileage may vary. Why is it that you think that this particular cohort of human, the Silicon Valley tech bro, hasn't figured out the actual needs of human beings in healthcare yet? Or maybe it's just because they don't really think of themselves even as human beings. What, you know, what, what, what do you think? What do you, why do you think like that? I mean, I think, I think it's people's natural tendency to think everybody's like themselves, right? Silicon Valley did not start out as a healthcare place. It started out as a tech place. And they think people are like themselves. And so they really don't think about the health needs of people who are older with chronic illness, who are women, um, who are of color, uh, you know, have different cultural needs from a healthcare system thing. And so you see a lot of silly stuff. I mean, not just in healthcare, but in any industry, diversity makes a huge difference in the quality of the, the solution. I mean, we've got research galore that demonstrates that, you know, diversity improves products and improves profitability and improves customer experience, improves everything in business. And yet we have not effectively internalized that in Silicon Valley yet, although there's a lot of pressure finally to do so. 
We touched on how Me Too has intersected with Silicon Valley's culture. I think the biggest impact is the ability to talk about it more openly. And that's a good thing. I mean, that's a big deal. So yes, I guess the answer is yes in a way. Um, am I seeing, you know, a giant impact on how people are hiring or board composition or any of that? Slow. California is actually considering a bill to mandate female representation on boards that are in, in California, which is an interesting thing to consider. I mean, we have that in Europe, actually. The United States does not, but California is considering it. And I think there's a big difference between Me Too sexual you know, assault and sexual harassment that's truly horrible criminal behavior and just thoughtless, stupid management of companies. But I do think there's an, a more open dialogue. That's probably the biggest change. But, you know, changing culture takes time. And a lot of times uh, people don't recognize their own behavior. We move from getting woke on cultural competency to waking up about health care costs. Shit got real. Getting woke is a process. I think it, it sort of takes an entire lifetime for people to actually wake the f*** up. But there you go. <laughs> Speaking of what the f***, what the f*** is up with America's obsession with spending like drunken sailors on healthcare? Austin Fract has a piece up on uh, the upshot. Hidden from view, the astonishingly high administrative costs of U.S. healthcare. I question that it's that hidden from view. <laughs> Yeah, really. And, you know, it's like, if I knew about it, then I don't understand why it. it's so hidden from view. I mean, we put it into the ACA, legislated the, the cost of administrative costs because of it. It seems as though we're perfectly happy with spending over $3 trillion a year and rising, and that there still is this myth that American healthcare is the best in the world. Uh, no, but... I don't think we're thrilled with spending it. I think it depends on who you ask. Employers certainly aren't thrilled with spending it, and they're not getting any help from the government with respect to farmer pricing or persisting in legislating the, the cost of insurance. And the ACA was certainly a step forward. Maybe it was not perfect, but it certainly had aspects of cost control in it that made sense. I mean, the problem with our healthcare system is it's completely got misaligned incentives, right? And when you have misaligned incentives, you have an imperfect economic impact. But if you're making a lot of money, it's a perfectly fine economic impact. And we don't really have the will as a country to legislate the costs and, and cap the costs and regulate the costs. And, and maybe it's not a will thing. Maybe it's a, it's a belief thing. You know, I mean, we, we believe in a market economy and all that. We just haven't really let the free market function either. So we're kind of in the weird middle, right? We haven't let the free market function in healthcare to negotiate prices the way we should. There's a lot of political lobbying and power. And there's a lot of fear on the part of both, I think, consumers and doctors about what you shouldn't bother doing. The system is only stacked against the common person because the common people aren't yet organized enough to knock down that stack. And consumers, I think, are culpable, too. I mean, you go to the doctor and you ask for lots of things that maybe you shouldn't have because you saw it on TV or somebody told you or whatever. That's the toxicity, though, is that yeah. people are kept in mushroom land, keep you in the dark and feed you shit, yeah. um, and you know, keep you stupid because then you're compliant. The system is so opaque and so difficult to navigate that people just give up. It's like a lottery. It's like you win if you don't have to interact with the healthcare system. But That's it's true. Consumers do not learn. I mean, they don't take the time to learn, either because they're not capable sometimes. It's complicated, so, you know. 
I can barely read some of this stuff and I've been looking at it for 30 years. Medicine is complex and biology is complex and not everybody understands it. There's lots of issues here, right? We definitely don't help ourselves by making it simple and transparent. The problem is there really is no one door that people could go to and say, okay, I need some help with this. Yeah, there's not. And get information that's reliable. There's a lot of competing interests here, and one dollar savings for one person is somebody else's revenue. So there's a lot of conflicting interests. It's complicated. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wants the system to be better, but nobody wants to give up their slice. Yep. I have a dream. I shared it with Venture Valkyrie. We discussed. My idea is that how about when a doctor and a patient are sitting in a room together, and the patient's looking at the back of the doctor's head the way you do. And because the computer's over there and there's a discussion going on about whatever the treatment is that the doctor's about to recommend for the thing that brought the person in for an exam. Why is it that the cost associated with that treatment? Because the record knows who the person is. They know what their insurance coverage is. Why the hell is the cost information not available in the point of care? Why do you think? Well, it's factually impossible because... You know they're a person's covered, but you don't have access to the contracted rates. I mean, but they should. Well, that's a different question. <laughs> <laughs> it is should a different question. Transparent, yes. Pricing should be transparent. I absolutely agree with that. I think that's absolutely insane that pricing is not transparent. We are paying most of these expenses out of pocket or large portions of them. And the fact that we can't be thoughtful buyers uh, does not help anybody except those who hide the pricing. And so I agree with you completely. I think we're moving in that direction, but it's unbelievably slow. And of course I raised my she's a broken record about this damn thing topic, the money being mined on people's health data and how that market might shift and how blockchain might be real world useful. I thought that I was the only nut job out here for a long time that was thinking that because the global economy seems to be running on data created by citizens, that perhaps those citizens should start seeing some of the revenue benefit of that in some way. I mean, direct payments, anything, you know, that I, I, I don't have a, a strong feeling about like whether it should be direct money or, you know, Amazon cards or discounts on them, whatever. The fact that people, just plain old people with phones and, you know, internet and whatever, are driving so much of this, quote unquote, tech innovation out there across the world, and particularly with healthcare data being so valuable. Where do you see that being, like, possible? Uh, you know, do you see Well, that- I think it's actually already happening. First of all, I happen to agree that it's a good idea. And I don't think you and I are the only two. There's companies like Evidation, which are actually paying consumers for their data today. There are clinical trials that have been done where the promise in exchange for the data is is free access to the drug if you need it in your lifetime. But I, I definitely think people are thinking about this in a different kind of way now. This is actually one of the potential uses of blockchain is to track the sort of micro data flows so you can have an accounting of where it came from. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of people are happily willing to give their data without compensation because they believe the societal benefit is worth it. And that's great. And I think others want to feel like if they're going to contribute to some big pharma company's profits or or whatever, that they should benefit as well. I think there's a lot of businesses that are looking at these models right now and trying to think about how to do it. I think we'll see that. 
as much as blockchain is a shiny object, that actually is one of the components of this dream state that I get mm. into every once in a while, where yeah. I think in terms of patients, people, um, having their longitudinal health data and projects like all of us, the NIH's data contribution project or any of Corey Painter's projects, NBC project, and then she's working on angiosarcoma and uh, prostate cancer as well, and basically crowdsourcing data. Right. But people don't necessarily understand the power of their data. We circled back to tech's impact on healthcare, and Lisa had this to say about that. I think tech's done a lot of stuff to drive change in healthcare. I mean, just the telemedicine revolution, for instance, allowing people to get access to things they couldn't get access to. Certainly, there are aspects of machine learning and AI that are making uh, imaging reads better, you know, making predictive analytics better so you can identify people who are going to get sick before they really crash. You know, certainly you know, making insurance products better. I mean, there's a wealth of ways technology improves healthcare. I think the, the where it gets dicey is this fallacy that technology can replace people in healthcare. And that's where the argument starts to fall apart because people want people in healthcare. People's judgment is important. And again, I think it's back to what is technology? It's not an answer. It's a tool. It's like a pencil, you know, it's fine and useful, but you can't place humans with it. So you can make them better and more effective. And I think that combination of technology and humanity is going to be in the end the winner. The combination of technology and humanity will indeed be the winner. That's what I'm working toward and what Lisa Soonan is devoting her time, talent, and treasure to on the daily. If you want to stay woke on separating shiny objects in healthcare technology from the real tech-human acceleration machines... Follow Venture Valkyrie's What Would Lisa Soonin Say Inside Factory, also known as her blog. She's got a podcast, too, Tectonics, which she co-hosts with David Shaywitz. All the links are in the show notes. And now it's time for this week's rant. Misogyny in healthcare? Why would anyone think that? Well, we could start with the really horrific death rates of women giving birth in the U.S., Those deaths are called maternal mortality, and those rates in the U.S. are at third world nation levels and rising, sinking any idea that American healthcare is the best in the world. That myth persists, but it's totally a fairy tale. Now, here are the stats. America has the worst rate of death during childbirth of the developed world. Over 26 women per 100,000 births will die in the U.S. every year. For comparison, the rate in Germany is 9, yes, that's 9 per 100,000. In Italy, it's 4.2 per 100,000. Only 6% of the state and federal money spent on maternal and child health goes to the health of mothers. Okay, well, let's not stop with childbirth. Let's talk heart disease, which kills more women than anything else, including any kind of cancer. This week, a study came out of the National Academy of Sciences showing that women are more likely to die of a heart attack unless their doctor is a woman. If their doctor is female, a woman having a heart attack is two to three times more likely to survive than if her doc's a dude. Now, it's only been since 1990 that the National Institutes of Health has even had a research group specifically looking at women's health. Before that, we were mostly, as far as medical research went, considered either dudes without dicks or guys with gynecological gear. 
that there might be actual differences in how a disease process affects us didn't even occur to the men of medicine for millennia. I have a modest proposal. I propose that all medical school training programs adopt a woman for a month empathy exercise for every male student. Hook each male student up to a TENS unit for five days to simulate menstrual cramps. Require male students to clean up work areas. Require them to get mansplained at least once a day. And require them to deal with expectations and comments about their physical appearance or attractiveness. If they complain, tell them they're so sensitive and it's just a joke. Seriously, make them wear spanks for a whole ER rotation. Every shift. That might shift some thinking. Well, that's the show, kids. And remember, America, it's a wonderful country. Just don't get sick. This episode, as always, is sponsored by Danny Van Leeuwen, also known as Health Hats. With his diverse and prolific health experience, Danny uses his multiple hats to empower people as they travel toward their best health. To join Danny on that best health journey, follow along in his blog. 